Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from showrunner Sherry Elwood, Yellowbird producer Georgie Matthew, producer Charlotte Surtees, and Film London and British Film Commission CEO Adrian Wooten about producing in a post-pandemic world. As part of Content London On Demand, the virtual version of C21's annual international TV conference this year taking place online, Film London and British Film Commission Chief Executive Adrian Wooten spoke with a trio of producers who were among a handful able to continue shooting as COVID-19 swept the globe. Sherry Elwood is the creator, showrunner and executive producer of Nova Scotia set Canadian drama series Feudal for CBC. Georgie Matthew is producer at Yellowbird, the Swedish outfit behind adaptations of Stieg Larsson's Millennium Trilogy and Wallander, plus new SVT DR drama Snow Angels. And Charlotte Surtees is a British producer whose credits include Sky Comedy Code 404. Here they are in discussion with Adrian Wooten. My name's Adrian Wooten. Uh, I uh, am the Chief Executive of Film London and the British Film Commission, and I'm delighted to be your, your host, your chair, for this special session as part of Content London On Demand 2020. Yes, going into the virtual world, because it can't be physical in, in London this year, but still uh, lots of exciting events happening. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from our special guests in this special session about producing in a post-COVID world. Well, we're not quite post-COVID, but we are uh, very uh, delighted to have guests who have been producing during COVID and hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to them about how they how they view those experiences and also what they think the learnings are of, of those experiences going forward. And so I'd like uh, them actually to, to introduce themselves. Uh, first of all, mate, perhaps Georgie, you could say a few words about yourself as a, as a producer in Sweden. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Georgie Matthew and uh, I'm a producer here in Sweden, Stockholm, at a company company called Yellowbird and uh, Yellowbird is uh, I think they're quite known out there we produced uh, the Millennium Trilogy written by Stig Larsson and we also produced Wallander uh, both the British or we were involved in the British together with Left Bank of course and and we did the original Swedish versions of Wallander and uh, yeah I have the good fortune to work at Yellowbird and that's uh, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just now recently produced uh, or are producing a, a show called Snow Angels for our public broadcaster SVT and DR from Denmark. And that's what we'll talk about in just a minute's time, a few minutes time. Charlotte from London, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm uh, Charlotte Surtees. I'm a freelance producer here in London. Um, I work in the field of comedy and comedy drama. And I have just uh, this year, so during our COVID year, uh, just finished... Uh, delivering uh, Two Weeks to Live, which was a comedy drama with Maisie Williams, uh, Sean Clifford, for uh, Sky Comedy, produced by Kudos. And I've just been, I'm now currently in post-production with Code 404, the second series of Code 404. I produced the first series, again, for Kudos and co-production with Water and Power. Uh, from Canada uh, is uh, Sherry Elwood, who, uh, as a, a writer and a producer, have worked on a whole range of uh, acclaimed and award-winning uh, shows. Uh, of course, um, she's probably very well known for Call Me Fits, but there's a lot of other things on the the CV. But I'm going to ask you, Sherry, before we talk about the show you've actually been working on most recently, uh, Feudal and and the experiences of working on that, just to give a a brief introduction about yourself. Ah, well, um, Canadian-born. 
I've worked here for many years. I split my time between Nova Scotia and uh, Los Angeles for the last 15 years, but was very happy to come back to do my new show, Feudal, in these extraordinary times. <laughs> we just wrapped uh, 63 days shooting uh, in a very new environment, and I'm so happy to be speaking with you. Great. Well, welcome, and thank you for your time. And and, and I'm I'm really intrigued because Feudal is is kind of very close to your heart in so many ways because it's... It's sort of autobiographical and, and, and actually isn't your location your home residence or your family residence? It is. My parents run um, a summer resort on the south shore of Nova Scotia and uh, it's quite an unusual place, uh, very unique. And uh, I've always wanted to tell a version of that story. We big, messy, blended family. And uh, what happens when, um, you know, the matriarch and patriarch decide that it's, you know, possibly time to retire and who's going to take over? Which of the most ill-suited offspring is actually going to take over this place? And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did shoot on location. You know, it is a summer business, and so we couldn't actually shoot on the property itself, but there's a, a vast amount of land, so we built our version of it right next door. So um, I could ride my bicycle from my mother's house to our uh, actual, you know, back lot. It was very meta and very crazy and really quite special. Georgie, I'm fascinated. Snow Angels is, I'm very excited about this because I'm a big fan of Nordic Noir. And this is a a, a multi-part Nordic Noir series, which also got its kind of launch. uh, And and you came on board as a result of Content London a, a couple of years ago, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's totally right. We were in London two years ago during C21 and had the good fortune of meeting the creator and the writer Mette Hieno, who's from Denmark, and her executive producer, Mia Andreasen, who were out meeting companies. They've been developing the project for a while with the Swedish broadcaster and was looking for a home. And they were also taking part in the in the pitch, in the, in the drama pitch uh, during, and they won, uh, which was really, really nice for us because we we, we sort of, we, we kind of met before the pitch and, and you know, got on really good to together and decided that we want to work together and then they went on to win so that was really very happy that was a good start that was a good start well that's that's great and then you know flash forward and then just as almost like worldwide lockdown is starting certainly european lockdown is starting um kind of march april you actually start shooting snow angels in sweden and and i mean you were pretty much the only well one of the few productions in the world that actually was shooting in april so what was that like because presumably you were kind of making it up to a certain extent as you go along there was no worldwide guidance there was no production protocols at that point everyone was writing them months later so tell us a little bit about that experience yeah that was as you're mentioning that was a sort of a surreal experience i think at the moment i think we did a sort of an inofficial count we were one out of five productions in the whole of europe or something like that that was still shooting and for us i mean as it is you probably know this but uh, when you're doing a show you sort of so much in your own bubble and world and you for us i think that was a good thing <laughs> obviously each day we had to manage corona activities we had to make up our own rules because our our film union or the even the health agency in sweden you know they were just running up and making new rules for everybody to 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 comply to but for us it was really about making your own rules 
and that's that was really hard. But uh, I think we just kept going uh, and uh, trying to be safe and trying to talk more on a psychological uh, level with people because that was that was sort of was about just talk to people about their fears and you know everybody had so many questions and nobody could give any answers really. So, so. that's I mean that that is kind of extraordinary and I, I'll bring Charlotte in a minute because I want to get her very different experience in this context. But did you even have you know you couldn't have had protective equipment, masks, all of this stuff when you when you began. No, no, we, we didn't know that much about the virus at that point. So, we, I mean, we got information daily, of course, but we, no, we didn't have any protective masks or, or gloves at the beginning of the production. At the end of the production, I mean, it's a long shoot. It's a, it's a six-part show. We, we shot for 70 days. But at the end, of course, it looked totally different. Yeah, presumably you kind of retrofitted the production almost, that it evolved yeah. over the course of those months it surely did and if you look at the beginning versus the end you're sort of you know just just shaking your own head and thinking how could we <laughs> what did we do what did we contribute to but but uh, yeah it worked pretty well i would say even though and presumably also at the end of the or the, as you get near the end you weren't testing because there wasn't you know the testing wasn't available by the end were you testing did you have a testing procedure implemented later on in the process of shooting i mean we had uh, we had just a couple of weeks maybe one two week left when the testing uh, possibilities were given to us but that said you know you had you had to wait several days we didn't have the quick tests that you had today and it was more of more a thing of like managing staff managing crew that was becoming ill and, and with symptoms and and, uh, and we sort of became our own little health agency <laughs> to just complying with the rules given to the health organizations and, and and the government but no testing i think we would benefit from that <laughs> at that point and charlotte if i can turn to you and, and contrast this experience because obviously what fascinates me is that one of the shows you you worked on in london in a sense as the pandemic kind of and lockdown etc etc happened was a show that had been on this first season had been on sky before this cop comedy drama show which i'm very fond of i I think is hilarious uh uh, code 404 starring the the rather wonderful amongst others daniel mays and obviously you'd made one show in the pre-covid era you know which had been a hit a success on sky you then come to make the second season and how different was it in terms of well planning and execution how different how differently did you have to think about making this show in the light of, of what had happened? Well, it was fairly different uh, in our planning of it. We So different to Georgie's experience, and Georgie, gosh, I can only imagine actually how difficult it is for you to sort of be figuring it out as you, as you, as you kind of go along so early in the pandemic. But we were lucky uh, in as much as we, as we were prepping to go into the shoot, the UK had already gone into lockdown and was slowly beginning to come out of it. So a lot of our prep was happening uh, whilst we were at the end of lockdown and knew that we were going to be coming out again. And at the same time, a massive amount of work had been done by the industry, Adrian, yourself included, um, Kudos, the production company with Water and Power, the two co-producers of Code 404, along with Sky, had been really right in amongst all of the planning that was happening from the moment lockdown went in. So we had the benefit of a massive amount of support from the industry as those big documents were being created, giving really the route map for how to move forward. So our challenge, different to Georgie's, was how do we take this route map and how do we turn it into a reality and how do we turn these things on paper this theory and apply it to all the moving parts of a large production so that for us was the really scary part I do remember one call with Kudos and Sky uh, talking it through and I found myself saying you 
you do know this would be easier to achieve if we were trying to do it in the middle of a zombie apocalypse where you can actually see the enemy you can take the heads off with a baseball bat um, and you know what you're dealing with and and actually that reality is as silly as that comment may sound um, that reality I think really sums up trying to work for any industry but ours in particular where where it's also interconnected and, and one thing falling over could bring the whole thing down it's it's the sort of invisible enemy element that was really really hard to deal with so for us it was how do we implement these guidelines how's this going to work and so immediately we had to think about the script first and foremost is there anything in the script that we cannot make work uh, because of COVID so we were working upon the assumption that we could break the two meter social distancing as per the industry guidelines with our cast without face masks on camera so long as all the other mitigating mitigating measures were in place the social distancing the face masks the testing and so on so again Georgie tools that we were able to tap into that you were only just beginning to you know were only just beginning to become available to your production so yeah that was the so, so the script was the first place and in our script we were lucky in as much as our show is a comedy so it's a it's a fairly contained world we also had the benefit of it being set slightly in the near future with a touch of sci-fi which allowed us to use technology to get out of, of some story issues that covid threw at us but essentially the biggest issues were those crowd scenes we had two fairly big ones so we ended up having to change those in the script and rethink how we shot a scene and actually came up with some really fun alternatives to make that work which have fundamentally changed those particular parts of the narrative so creative solutions I, that's the thing we work in a creative industry with a bunch of people who can create an entire world from plywood and nothing and uh, an imagination and amazing performances so once we started to apply those creative brains to the practical solutions it was actually quite liberating what we were able to to do and in terms of locations you you know this is very much a you know it's a quintessentially london set show did you i mean apart from crowd scenes did it change radically use of location a number of locations where the hat you know and, and talk a little bit about that so yes we definitely had to rethink locations firstly we knew we could not be amongst the public at all and for us that wasn't too much of an issue but the biggest issue was that on the whole for a comedy we're on a comedy budget of a, a very gen, you know very high-end budget but uh, ordinarily we don't go to big places and do really big because that's that's not the nature of the show that we have or the budget that we have so we had to rethink all the very small spaces we normally go into we we had the benefit of having a previous series to fall back on in terms of our design we had a, we have a central police location which in series one, when we chose it, seemed massive. And it's a, it's an underground, a sort of disused, partially built underground theatre, um, which is effectively a concrete bunker three floors down under the streets of London. When we chose it for series one, we all giggled about how big it was and how we would need to fill it. In series two, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and suddenly this incredible location became our best friend. We were away from uh, the people in the street above. We weren't mixing with the general public and, and uh, causing them any uh, health issues. But we could operate in our own little bubble effectively. So between our location manager, our production team and our COVID supervisor, we were getting floor plans of every location we were in. We were dividing those floor plans up. This is the floor itself and these are the teams that are going to be allowed to enter it to have access to the cast. We disbanded Video Village completely because you can't have people gathering together closely shoulder to shoulder around a monitor. Uh, we brought 
brought in a, a remote system. In our case, we use QTake, which is the first time we'd used that. I know it's you know it's uh, uh, used on bigger dramas already, but for us, this was a novelty, which meant that each department was allocated their own space on the floor plan that we had created of our location, and that's where they went. So other than when that department needed to step onto the floor, for example, hair and makeup for limited checks, they would then go back to their area. The camera team would have, uh, the mag liners would be in their area, and that's where they would go to, and so on. Props department would have their own area where they could do all the cleansing and, and so on. And each location we went to, we would create a new floor plan based on the dimensions and based on the two meter social distancing and based on Q-take taking and allowing on the whole, unless you needed to be on the floor, you could be in another area that was pre-designated. So there was never any crossover and never any you know argument about who was sitting where or, or, or anything like that. You know, it, it's, it's interesting, actually, because when I designed this show, I designed it, um, first of all, I wanted to spend the summer here. So I said, how can I spend a summer in Nova Scotia? And so I, I and I had always wanted to do this show. And Charles Bishop, my partner, you know, who produced this with me, he called me and said, you know, we should do a show in Nova Scotia. And I said, I have one. And I wanted it to be fairly contained. I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I, I don't know if I had it in me right now to do another show where we were doing 18 location moves a day and traveling across the ocean. Ocean and I said, what can I do that's really contained and a, a, a story that we can really maximize our shooting time, um, where we can walk from set to set and, um, you know, really shoot it on location. And so this is this is what I came up with. Um, so that die had been cast before COVID, which really set us up to be the ideal show to shoot during COVID times, because we could really isolate our set moves. Uh, we could keep our crew local. You know, we could, we could house our cast within a bicycle ride to set um, that was that was a happy accident but even still because it was a new series and because we were one of the first in Canada to go to camera during COVID times you know there was a lot of fear that came from the studio and came from production in general just how to do it we, we, I would like to say we made it up as we went along but we didn't we had you know 50 page manuals of how to operate you know safely right. that was what I was going to ask so you oh, had yeah. the benefit of, guy, of, of the Canadian film television industry guidance that had been developed by them absolutely it, it we had more meetings about covid prep during pre-production than we did about the show sometimes which was which was a little frustrating um but necessary you know there was a lot of fear and of course that was all connected to ensuring the show like as a new show it's an entirely new insurance policy it was it was like the wild west in terms of what was going to be insured and what wasn't and who was going to be financially liable and you know whether our network was going to pony up the additional you know six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars whatever it was in order to you know cover those costs like and we had a full-time staffed medic team on set and you know the extra cleaning and the extra prep and the you know all of it it was a really big deal uh, that's really interesting and, and sort of bringing georgie in on on this in terms of locations georgie i mean did you as you you know kind of made it up as you went along and, and evolved did the script of snow angels change and evolve and and you started to change well we can't use those locations and crowd scenes were the changes like that made because you, you you're, you're still finishishing snow angels it hasn't hasn't wrapped completely yet so so apart from apart from procedures changing did the actual content and your use of location change yeah I would say that we were sort of forced to make certain changes moving forward and that would be maybe not so much locations because our locations is pretty it's a very fairly you know contemporary drama small set 
no big locations uh, to speak of in, in that sense. But we had, of course, crowd scenes that we had to rethink totally because uh, even if this is Sweden and we're fairly liberal in our strategy, uh, we, we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't have club scenes or party scenes that was planned from the beginning. We had to reduce. But as Charlotte is mentioning, we're working with maybe the most creative people on earth, <laughs> or at least for for me it feels like that way, and they are so determined to keep the industry going and they were so you know all through the production unit the the ad department our director the dp they were so committed to keep on shooting because it sort of gave so much inspiration to the rest to the rest of the industry and people that you can actually do it so they were so they were so open creatively making changes so all that type of scenes and and uh, challenges that were thrown to us always went back to okay how can we creatively, you know, keep our, our vision and the goal with the show and still do it, but with 100 less extras or, or in a totally different environment than you were thinking? I did zero re-engineering. And that's pure um, luck, I think. Uh, they, they, you know, the only uh, issue that I ran into, um, I would say, would be limited number of extras because we couldn't, there was only so much we could control. So having extras come in, um, a lot of them would be new faces every day. We weren't really able to kind of track their comings and goings. And so we had a limit on the number of extras for crowd scenes. Um, but I would say that would really be the only rethinking. And that's just, i so grateful because I really don't think I could have shot the show. We have only seen the first four cuts uh, so far, but uh, you would never know. You wouldn't know. You know, we were very clever blocking and um, uh, lighting tricks, things like that. We, I don't think you would ever know that we were compromising in that area. We at the British Film Commission were at the centre of, of working with the industry on, on producing our UK guidance along with the broadcaster guidance. And I spent far too much of my life looking at detail and regulations and talking to our, our health and medical officers etc 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 but I'm just wondering and, and and Charlotte then as she said as every production in the UK has, has, has taken this big bible we've produced and then had to reconstruct it for their own productions because you were in such a unique position did they use you as a test case to, to develop procedures on the basis of what you were doing I think so I think so. I think we, we might have inspired to a certain uh, type of activities but, but it's hard to say what exactly they did we have our uh, union of theater and arts i think it's equivalent to, to, to your organization as well that draws up the regulations and and rules uh, they have sort of a bullet point of you know these 15 things has to be you know and it's very similar to what the rest of the world is doing but but for us no i, I wouldn't say that you know there's a specific thing that we did that then uh, because we were so much in this bubble and just trying to <laughs> to trying to go along but it was also you know quite clear from the government what you can do and what you can't do and we just ran along with that charlotte going back to your production you know you you talked about the the challenge of of adapting the guidance to did you bring in a specialist health and safety company what other advice did you get to inform what you did when you shot so we were extremely fortunate with having a sort of dream team combination of uh, sky's own health and safety department um and their medical team in fact who were very involved 
in how Sky's own protocols were developed off the back of the wider industry protocols and therefore how those would then inform our own production protocols effectively, as you say, incorporating everything both the industry and Sky were doing. On top of that, though, Kudos, the production company and Water and Power, their co-producers, Kudos have for many years worked with an extremely fantastic health and safety advisor, Dave Sutcliffe, um, who's well known throughout the industry. And Dave kept his watchful eye from day one across everything that was happening and advising us. Um, and then as we went into production, and obviously Dave was involved in other things, First Option stepped in as well to help. So we had a huge amount of, of support in understanding the health and safety implications of COVID. And, you know, and of course, on top of that, you know, the health and safety of the production itself hasn't gone away either. All the normal health and safety work needed to be done on top of it. But I, I have to say, it felt very scary as we were going into it, because we felt, and it's funny hearing Georgie, because goodness me, you really were in the unknown. We had, at the time, I remember us thinking we're entering the unknown, but God, Gosh, you guys really were at the sort of forefront of it all. I take my hat off to you, really, Georgia. It's incredible. But looking back on it now, and certainly in sort of refocusing it in Georgia's experience, we had everything we needed, all the tools we needed to make the right decision about when to go into full production, because there was a lot of discussion about that. Is it right? When's it right? And I think we hit a sweet spot there, actually, when we started uh, back in mid-August, because the UK was coming out of lockdown, but things were still quiet. People were still working from home. So we, for the first month or so of our shoot, everything was still very quiet in the real world. And then in the UK, the COVID numbers started to go up and the beginning of the wave we're now really seeing was beginning to show itself towards the end of our schedule. And as a result, we began to feel the impact of that within our own production. Very interesting. I mean, what, one, two things really, and I want to flip this back to Georgie, is that people are saying to me just how critical the role of the COVID supervisor has become in in, in certain certainly certain shows did you find that within your show that having a covid supervisor was a critical element of the production i would say that it well at the end of the production or during our reshoots when we were when we had the good fortune of working with the covid supervisor <laughs> we just felt that oh that was the work of half of the production unit you know <laughs> uh, so uh, of course that would i would say that moving forward i think i think that's the thing we're gonna take with us into the future for sure because you know they have so, such a different optics of things and they're just concerned with people's health and security and they have no interest whatsoever at all in the, in the production which is a good thing I think even if it sounds a bit weird it, it, that that's a good thing uh, so I'm, I'm really happy during our reshoots now that we took part in recently um, I'm really really happy that we had the opportunity to work with a supervisor which is now a rule and it, it's a must if you should anything in Sweden to have a designated person. We had all team, you know, before you could drive on to, you know, drive on, you know, across our little bridge to get to our set, uh, you know, our Oceanside set, we had the check checkpoints where you had to get your temperature taken and you had to fill out your daily questionnaire. And uh, yeah, it was all very regimented. And, and in terms of that regimentation, did you also, because obviously in a way you you and the, 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 the cast and crew were kind of in a big, one big bubble in, in, in that sense, but did you have to keep being tested during that period you have a testing regime as well yes well Nova Scotia you first of all when you come into the province you need to isolate for two weeks 
Um, and in addition to that, our our COVID protocols were stricter than the provincial protocols. And so we had all right. of our cast and crew, anyone coming new to set, we would be all tested uh, two or three times. The cast continued to be tested as the production went on. But yeah, week, they were tested weekly. And Charlotte, presumably you had that right from the start on Code 4, I thought. Yes, absolutely we did. And um, our COVID supervisor, Maya Vladarchek, was absolutely outstanding, considering she she's a, a, a former locations department former production coordinator so she understood production but she had to figure all this stuff out again take what was on paper and put it into the real world but what Georgie said I think is the really important takeaway that we had from our production and that's that the COVID supervisor's role is absolutely vital but it has to be supported by production and I think it has to have a top-down approach from the execs, from the producer on the floor, because COVID isn't just a thing that happens over to one side that everybody's got to deal with. COVID impacts every single aspect of your production, and that includes the editorial. So I think if I've, I've been hearing reports of some COVID supers sort of being put to sort of said, this is your bit, you, you sort of deal with that, and we'll just get on like we normally do. And that just cannot work. It's not for the good of the production, or in fact, the health and well-being of anyone on the production, because we were having to make decisions that seriously impacted editorial you know and then we found creative ways out of it so it didn't but the responsibility cannot be the COVID supervisors alone they have to be supported by their producers there has to be sort of creative buy-in to the fact that COVID throws you a curveball and you've got to sort of you know find a way to work with it not just ask the COVID supervisors to test everyone and then just assume you're carrying as normal but everyone will just wear a face mask and certainly uh, you know we're aware of actually the, the demand for COVID supervisors in the UK because we've just announced a supporting the production guild um, with, with funding to, to train a whole new bunch of COVID supervisors because there's so much demand in, in the UK as I imagine that there is a, around the world for that particular role. I, I wanted to ask you, Shard, and, 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 and then to come back to Georgie um, about the kind of well-being, not just the physical well-being, but the mental well-being. A number of producers have said to me, and, and Georgie said it right at the beginning about people talking and reassuring each other, that it seems to me that one of the factors of about making film and television programs during this period is that you've just mentioned a sort of certain shared sense of responsibility, but not just a shared sense of responsibility, a kind of a shared sense of people recognising and looking after people and recognising that people's mental well-being and their sensitivity and their their fear, actually, of this. And, and somebody said to me, a producer said to me in, in the UK, managing the kind of COVID hysteria management, you know, that people getting paranoid on set about, you know, has somebody been infected? Has somebody been tested? As you know, and and I'm hearing that a lot more that people have to take much more cognizance of the way in which their their cast, but also their crew, are actually feeling. And did did you get a real sense of of that doing Code Four Hundred Four? Yes, absolutely, we did. One of the first lessons we learned when we took the theory onto the floor in our first week of shooting, up to this point, and to my shame, it had never occurred to me that people might have personal stories to do with COVID that they were bringing back. So when our crew came back to work almost all of them had not worked since lockdown so for them it meant the world to come back to work and Georgie as you said that kind of collegiate sense from crews and productions that we just want to keep the show on the road because people's lives and livelihoods depend on it you know that sort of that came through very loud and clear but the big thing that came loud, came through loud and clear on that first week was uh, I remember two crew members we discovered they they sort of made known that they'd lost close family members to COVID so whilst we were worrying about the risks for our production what I'd lost sight of was that people you know had very real concerns 
about their own health, their family's health, and, and crew members knew what the end product of COVID could be and how awful and painful it could be. So instantly, we you know we started to think about what that meant. We'd always said very openly, Sky, Kudos, Water and Power, myself, the production, you know, this was because we felt we were just starting out and we were just applying these principles for the first time, that we wanted crews to, to feed in, you know, what they thought, what they thought could work better. And out of that came, I think, a real transparency about what was going on. So fast forward through to the second half of our production and the world outside us is starting to go a bit bananas again and the numbers are going up. And we encountered our first case of COVID. Uh, and, and I'm pleased to say our first and only pocket of COVID on the production, um, which was very much indicative of what was happening around us. Um, and in fact, an inevitability in terms of the sort of crunching of the numbers of, of of who in the outside world was getting it. Luckily, that crew member had behaved exactly as they should. They had felt well, unwell before the weekend. And the moment they felt unwell, they called in and said, shall I stay at home? And we said, yes, please. And that saved us. That crew member's common sense, that crew member's understanding and, and sort of, of how on a knife edge all of this stuff is if you don't follow the guidelines and, and the safeguards that productions have set out. We then removed a small department into isolation and got them tested immediately, a retest. So they passed them. They were actually in the test program, but continued to t- sort of got them some additional tests to see where we were at. Um, and whilst all that was going on, again, this never occurs to you till it happens to you. But uh, the, the rest of the crew were happy to continue working. We were safe to do because we were operating the cohort system. We'd identified the cohort. We'd isolated them. They hadn't had contact cast and so on. So we were able to do all of this. Um, but the uh, crew members then approached us saying, goodness me, tonight, I'm not sure if I can go home until I know whether or not I'm safe, until my next test result comes through and I'm sure I'm all right, because I have vulnerable people at home. And they were vulnerable for various reasons. Um, so instantly we put them up in a hotel, we took care of them and um, and kept talking to all of the crew. And transparency, I think this hit, that yeah. I think producers are right about this sense of hysteria, but also I don't think you can ever lose sight of the fact that these are human beings. And there's a real impact on both people's economic lives and also on their personal and emotional lives, their family, we go home every night and we watch the news tell us the death toll and the numbers going up. It's, it is a terrifying environment to find yourself working in. And for productions, we have this, you know, we have our prep period, we have our shoot period, we go into post. For crew, particularly, they go from one high stress environment straight to the next. So I think we as producers and production companies and productions have a real responsibility to look after those individuals as they go through. I think it all inspired us to be a little kinder and it inspired us to, we really banded together in a way that sometimes you get don't get an opportunity to on other shows. Like I made sure that I was, you know, more available, you know, to cast and to crew and you know just just taking the time to communicate at a you know with a sensitivity that I don't usually have time for sometimes especially with getting a new show up and going and and you know it, it can't be underestimated the, the the nature of walking around with masks on your face you know there's some of my crew members I don't entirely know what they look like you know uh, I'd be like oh that's what you look like you have a very pretty lower face you know it, it Things got better as the show went on because, uh, you know, another fortunate situation. There, there really, there's no COVID in Nova Scotia. I think we right. may be one of the corners.
there's few corners of the world where, and, uh, you know, knock on wood, there are no cases here. So uh, we were largely protecting ourselves uh, from an intruder that hadn't really quite struck yet. So much of it was preventative. And once we realized that we were still quite safe, we, we, we loosened up the protocols, a, you know, a tiny bit. I mean, cast didn't have to wear their masks all the time. And, you know, when I was directing, I really tried not to be too, uh, too much protective coding, especially right. in sensitive scenes. In terms of learnings going forward, I mean, it seems to me that transparency, honesty, that communication is a watchword no matter what going forward. That's something that everyone should just be doing now. But what other things? I'm just wondering in terms of, you know, we hope that some of these restrictions, these regulations, the social distancing will come down as the, the virus wanes, fingers crossed, help us all. But are there other learnings in terms of, yes, going on to the next production that you think that you have gained that won't fade away, that are that are important things to keep on doing? I think for us moving forward, I think for everybody who is in this uh, industry is how to, how to sort of, you know, retain your creative ambition and your strive and working in this pandemic world that we are in uh, to find that balance. How, how can we push ourselves creatively? Creatively uh, working uh, methodically with, with with what we have been given, in so in terms of like restrictions and rules, it's going to be the biggest challenge, I think, for us at least uh, moving forward. Well, I think that is inspiring you saying that because yes, I, certainly, and, and it's inevitable, you know, running the British Film Commission that we we just get all the logistics. You know, people saying it's more expensive, it's slower. You know, it's this, it's that, and and what you're reminding us, I think, really importantly, is the reason you're doing this in the first place is to entertain people, enlighten people, cheer people up or or make them think. And, and actually the restrictions and the, the logistical challenges shouldn't dampen the creative spirit of one of the most creative industries in, in the world. Charlotte, what, what, do, what do you think going forward in this way? Funnily enough, when we started it, producing things under COVID felt like an alien environment. But actually looking back on it on the other side now, uh, with a huge amount of relief, I have to say, is that the, the COVID-specific things, the health declaration forms, the having your temperature taken the moment you walk you know, onto base, the testing and the face masks, those are all COVID. And when COVID is hopefully received into the background alongside the common cold and people are vaccinated for it, those things will disappear. They really are the only things that, that sort of differentiate Code 404 Series 1 made without COVID to Code 404 Series 2. Everything else that we did, aside from keep away from each other, was really in essence the same. And I'm delighted to the report that the human human nature just means, especially in times of sort of heightened anxiety, entertainment, comedy, humour, even you know drama, the chance to cry, helps us all. And our outtakes bloopers are twice as long on series two as they were on series one. And we cried with laughter just as much behind our face masks. And for me, that and, and the end product, the show that we're currently in post-production with is COVID notwithstanding, is everything we ever hoped it would be and is not compromised in any way. And funnily enough, the, the, the sort of big things I took away from it is um, COVID forced us to be creative. We decided quite early on because we weren't sure where the industry would end up with the use. We used quite a lot of haze on set for the first series. Haze is, is, is perfectly okay to use, but we were worried that because we were going so early, what happens if midway through our shoot, suddenly there's a decision that haze can't be used? What do we do? In the end, we chose a different camera and some beautiful vintage lenses and no haze. And as a result, 
result, our show looks gorgeous. Uh, series one looked gorgeous. Show two is slightly different and even more gorgeous as a result of these COVID decisions. So, you know, we remember to think outside the, you know, think outside the box because that's what the virus caused us to do. The only thing I think does remain, and this is the really important and slightly less fun message, I suppose, that I felt, COVID throws into sharp focus the mental health of the teams that we work with. We work in a high pressure environment, which can be utterly unforgiving for individuals and their families that they leave behind when they come to our sets every single day. And for crews in particular, there is no respite in the edit. They go from one to the other to the other. And when COVID goes, I think the lesson we should all learn is to continue this movement that's that, that's com- currently happening in our industry of inclusivity, of stamping out bullying and bad behaviour, not normalising it, but saying it is not okay, because seeing crews under the extreme pressure of a global pandemic where actual lives are at stake really brings into sharp focus how we all behave towards each other and take care of each other as we move forward. And for me, I hope that will be COVID's legacy because we've all been forced to look at ourselves and look at how we look after our teams, our crews, our productions and cast and crew, everyone we work with. That when COVID is gone, we will continue that level of care in the way that I think our industry is more than capable of and really deserves. I think that's a a rather lovely way to conclude because I think we'd all echo your your sentiments there because I think that, that what I've heard today, apart from the practicalities that you've talked about, but that sense of honesty, um, inclusion, transparency, that sense of mental well-being as well as actually physical well-being is what we need to take forward. As what, apart from having a COVID supervisor, apart from testing regimes, etc., whilst this pandemic still operates, those are the, the important things. And, and also, very importantly, and you've said this, is the ingenuity and the brilliant creativity of not having the vision, the, the creative vision circumscribed by the circumstances, but actually using the ingenuity to preserve the creative vision going forward. And thank you so much for, for all the insights uh, today for this Content London On Demand session. I'm sure that all the delegates will, will find this really, really interesting. Sherry Elwood, Georgie Matthew and Charlotte Surtees in conversation with Adrian Witten. Remember, the video version of that discussion is available to view on our site right now to C21 Pro subscribers where you'll find plenty more exclusive Content London on-demand sessions. There'll be more from the event in the podcast next week, but that's all for now. In the meantime, stay safe and don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Weddale. Thanks for listening. <laughs>